Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Vertical Podcast, and we have a really good podcast for you coming up today. Double guest episode. That's right. Two guests here for the price of one. And we begin with Bobby Marks, the front office insider for The Vertical, former assistant GM with the Brooklyn Nets. Covered a lot of ground with Bobby, including, is there any upside for the Cleveland Cavaliers to flip Kevin Love for Carmelo Anthony? Yeah, I don't think it makes any sense for Cleveland to even dip their toe in the, in the deep end here regarding Carmelo Anthony. I mean, if, if you want to get a conversation going, if I was David Griffin, the general manager, I'd ask for a first-round pickback. And later on in the show, I catch up with Mike Schmitz from DraftExpress.com. Mike is one of the foremost draft experts out there. You can catch his videos, his scouting reports, all that up on Draft Express. And Mike's got some strong opinions on a lot of guys here, including the guy that is viewed as the consensus number one pick right now, Washington point guard Markel Fultz. You know, he's very interesting in that he's kind of in his own little world a lot of times, just with the way he plays. Like, he's very, very loose. Um, everything is kind of based on instincts. All that more next on the Vertical Podcast with Chris Max. Well, it's been a busy week uh, in the NBA. We've got uh, the trade deadline fast approaching. We've got the Miami Heat uh, looking like a playoff team all of a sudden. The Pelicans, they're talking trade. The Sixers, one of their big men could be on the move. And the Atlanta Hawks are kind of between a rock and a hard place here with how they uh, move forward. To talk about that and much more, we bring in Bobby Marks, the front office insider uh, over at The Vertical, former assistant GM with the Brooklyn Nets, and he uh, joins me here on the podcast. What's happening, Bobby? How you doing? I'm good, Chris. How are you today? Well, I'm I'm trying to figure out Miami because when they were losing, I actually thought that was the best thing for them because Miami is sort of, I mean, they're starless right now. I mean, Justice Winslow is, is probably never going to be kind of that alpha male. Uh, Goran Dragic is, is an all-star caliber player, but uh, is he going to be part of the team's long-term solution? Uh, Hassan Whiteside, very, very good player, but is he 
you know, kind of that de facto star. I thought bottoming out was the right thing for Miami to be doing. Not that they were doing it intentionally, but I thought the way their track was was smart given the the wealth of talent at the top of this this upcoming draft. All of a sudden, <laughs> they're winning 11 straight games. Deion Waiters looks like Dwayne Wade. What is going on in Miami? Psychology 101. That's what I call it, Chris. And uh, I mean, I, I got to give a lot of credit here to Eric Spolstra as far as what he's done. And, and, uh, you know, that's half the battle of, of the head coach is not letting go, letting go of the rope of, uh, of your locker room and from where they were, you know, 11 and 30 to, you know, 10 or 11 in a, in a row now, uh, where they clearly could have done so because it, when you, when you look at that roster, besides Whiteside and, uh, Dragic, you know, they, they signed what I call a lot of placeholders this summer, guys who are one-year contracts or two-year contracts that second year with no protection. Uh, and it's kind of they're in a, in a holding pattern until, you know, this upcoming summer when you get the Bosch number off and then you can create some, some cap space. But um, I know you can make the argument that probably losing is the best thing for the organization with a potential, you know, low lottery pick. But I just look at it when, when you when you kind of set that mindset that losing creates a lot of bad habits. Yeah, look, I agree with you. I mean, if you can win, you win. You don't actively try to lose. And, and you're simply never going to get Eric Spolstra or Pat Riley to, you know, actively bottom out. That's just not in their DNA. Uh, I just didn't think they had the talent. And, and Waiters coming back from from injury and playing the way he has, not just with the the end of the game type of situations, giving them uh, a guy that that clearly wants the shot and as of recently is making the shot, but he's been solid in, in a lot of different areas. I mean, the win over Brooklyn, he had nine assists, seven assists, and the win uh, over Detroit. He's doing it in in a few different ways. I mean, I don't I don't love his shooting percentage on some of these nights, but uh, he has been you know not just a, a volume scorer, but an efficient player for a lot of ways. Well, when you, when you look at the roster too, uh, you know, I mean, if you look at New York or some of these other teams, Sacramento who struggled, I mean, this Heat roster is not as talented as some of these. It's really I mean, not. It, it isn't. I mean, and you know, you and you have uh, Winslow's out for the year. Uh, Josh Richardson's been been banged up. You've got your your two main core guys with Dragic and, and Whiteside, and then you have. You know, waiters and, uh, you know, James Johnson, or Carl White, who they signed, you know, uh, the other day to a rest of the season contract. You, you cut Derek Williams, uh, Rodney Magruder, who you found in, in your D League team. And, and it's, I mean, it's a tough minded group, though. I, you know, I spent a week there in, in November, early in the year, and just writing about them. And it's just the principles from Pat Riley to Eric Spolstra, a lot of what they've leaned on in the past when they had those championship level teams and, you know, the late two thousands. And then when LeBron and Bosch and Wade were there has now been preached with, with this group. And these players have certainly bought into it. What's the book on waiters. Uh, I mean, he is only 25 years old. I know he's bounced around a little bit and he has kind of reputation as, uh, you know, somewhat one dimensional, uh, sometimes a chucker out there, but I mean, the numbers don't lie. They've been successful with him, you know, back in the lineup, playing significant minutes. Um, you know, this streak, uh, he had a you know a little bit of a rough start in terms of wins and losses, but he has been a, cons- a constant uh, presence uh, during this winning streak. Is he no longer a placeholder guy? Do you think is he someone worth investing in long term? It's interesting. You know, that's going to be the challenge with Miami as far as, you know, you thought you had a plan when you were signing these placeholder, you know, players, one year, two year contracts. And now are these your players that you're going to use your room on? And, 
you know, Waiters is on a, you know, he signed the, the, the room mid-level, um, you know, a low lottery pick when, uh, when he came out of, out of Syracuse with, uh, with Cleveland and OKC. Um, I still think he's a, he's a bench player, Chris. I don't know if he could be an, a, an everyday starter or in, and rely on him as an everyday starter. I can, I can certainly say he can be a top, top six man. Um, but it will be interesting because will there be a team that will commit to him for three or four years or will he be a, a guy that will always be a, a two year, you know, eight or nine million dollar player? I tell you what, and, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how Miami evaluates him. Do they look at him as a bench player? Or do they see him as a long-term starter? Because I agree with you. The teams that are out there, the the Sacramento's, the New York Knicks, the Brooklyn Nets, the Philadelphia 76ers, I would imagine one of those teams will, will place a higher value on him. And one of those teams will give him real money. I mean, hell, Brooklyn, you know, they gave Alan Crabb, you know, what was it, a uh, 70-plus million dollar offer. They gave Tyler Johnson a big-time offer. Brooklyn's shown their... They're, you know, especially with their lack of draft picks over the next couple of years, it's almost a low risk proposition. If you can bring him in at two or three years of big money. Well, and that's the scope of the league this summer. It's teams that are the teams with room are going to be your your rebuilds. Uh, the 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 ones that are in, in the lottery. If you look at uh, Brooklyn, Philadelphia, um, you know the teams like that, possibly uh, Sacramento. Um, so. You know, can you can he be a two year guy? You know, I mean, if if it's it's Brooklyn, yeah, yes, because you know they don't have their pick next year, so you can afford to, to do so. It might eat up some of your your future cap space, but um, you know that's that's going to be the the interesting thing. And also, that it's not a great free agent market for shooting guards, Chris. It's mm-hmm. you've got uh, Contavious Cole Pope, who's restricted, who I who I personally think Detroit should trade by by the deadline here. I think. Um, I think they're going to get into a, in a, in a tough bind when we get into the summer. If he's still on the roster, when with Rich Paul as his agent, we've seen it with Eric Bledsoe and Tristan Thompson. Um, you know those long negotiations after Caldwell Pope. It's uh, it's JJ Redick. Um, you know who's certainly a, a quality starting point guard. But is there a team out there that's going to commit commit to him for? You know, three or four million, uh, three or four years at at uh, you know fourteen, fifteen million. That's a that's a lot for for JJ, I think. So, um, and he and Dion would fall kind of right right below that that group. Who would you value more as a long term starter, JJ Redick or Dion Waiters? If you're looking at say a four year deal, I think JJ I trust more. I I, I do. I mean, I think. Uh, you know, the age is, you know, the age comparison is not close. Uh, you know, JJ is more of a seasoned veteran, you know, waiters, this is his, you know, what is it? His third, third team in yeah. you know, for three years here. So I, I get a little bit nervous on players who are on contract years, you know, waiters is technically on a contract year, even though he's got a player option for next year. Is it, can he, you know, what happens when you give him a big contract, 10, 11, $12 million? Can he, can he sustain that over the life of the contract with Reddick? My concern would be, of course, the back end, back end, you know, years three and four. Uh, before we move on from Miami, uh, Chris Bosch, you expect the heat to waive him at some point in the next two months? I do. I think it's going to come after the first of, of March. You know, his anniversary date is, is coming up here. It's, it's February 9th. And the last time he played, that's when they can, you know, start the paperwork and they can remove him then if, if, if they wish. I don't see it happening just because there would be a small risk that, you know, Bosch would come back if he did play 25 games this year. Uh, that money that would come off the cap would go back on, uh, you know, for Miami this summer. So for the Heat, the, you know, the, the, the best approach is to wait until after Mar- uh, March 1st. He wouldn't be playoff eligible anymore. The, you know, he wouldn't be. 
you know, if he signed with the Cleveland or one of these these top teams here, he wouldn't be able to play in the playoffs, and that protects uh, you know Miami this summer to get his to get his number off. Do you hear any rumblings amongst uh, executives across the league that somebody might try to sign him and put him through the medical process and bring him in? I don't. It wouldn't surprise me if if a team at least kind of uh, gets some feelers out there and and even bring him brings him in for uh, a visit. And that's of course if he if Chris wants to do that. You know, I don't know. You know, when you when you're out of the league for a little while, you kind of uh, you know I guess enjoy that re- I guess semi retirement life. And um, and does he have that taste? To he's won multiple championships. He's made a lot of money. Um, you know, sometimes it's about quality of life and. Uh, and not that burning desire to go out and chase another another championship. But it, but if he did want to do that, I wouldn't. It wouldn't surprise me if if a team brought him in, uh, let let him go through the you know battery of tests with their doctors, and at least kind of you know the, you know kick the can around on him. That sort of surprised me too that we haven't seen Bosch uh, appearing on one of these ESPN TV shows or doing anything beyond that. Uh, what is it? Uninterrupted uh, series that he's been doing every so often. I mean, he would seemingly be a guy that ESPN would jump at bringing in. Uh, a recent all-star guy that played with LeBron, uh, you know, certain type of insight, at least take a flyer on him there. But I wonder if, uh, you know, what that means that he's kind of stayed out of the the public light for a little while. No, you're right. And I think that's, you know, you, you he's probably, you know, this is technically a, the first full year that he hasn't, hasn't played. And, you know, at least, you know, I mean, I'm not Chris Bosh and not drawing my comparison when, you know, everything happened with the nets and everything, but sometimes you just want to get away from it. You want to spend some time with your, with your family, with, with your kids and then reevaluate what you want to do in life. And, and then you can kind of pursue if it's, if it's broadcasting, if he, if he wants to get into into the management uh, management side of things, I don't want to get too lost in the weeds in the Carmelo Anthony trade talk. I mean, we reported last week what we reported, and you know, look, I also don't want to go too deep into the Knicks because they stink. <laughs> they're not going to get better. Look, they're not. They're not going to get better. It's just going to keep getting worse. And you know, look, I think Phil Jackson's time for him to go. I do. I think it's you know, I, I don't love advocating for the firing of anybody, but this guy's getting paid a lot of money. And that team is is a total mess right now. What what I do want to get into, Bobby, is the 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 still in the water supply chatter about a Kevin Love uh, for Carmelo Anthony swap. Um, you know, it, it, some reports out there. You know, LeBron James uh, said that any any reports that say he wants to move Kevin Love are, are I think absolute garbage. Uh, was his quote? Kevin showed once again why he's one of the greatest outlet passers ever in the NBA and the win over Washington. Uh, on Monday, but uh, a Kevin Love Carmelo swap. I don't know how that makes the Cavaliers much better. I mean, Carmelo Anthony is not the player that the Cavaliers need. I mean, they need more floor space. They don't need another guy that's going to you know bog things down. They've they've got isolation players. They don't need one more, in my opinion. Yeah, I don't think it makes any sense for Cleveland. You know, to even dip their toe in the in the deep end here regarding regarding Cal- Carmelo Anthony. I mean, if if you want to get a conversation going, if I was D- David Griffin, the general manager, I'd ask for the fir- for a first round pickback with with uh um you know if I'm going to move Kevin Love for him, and I don't even know if if uh, I'm sure if New York would not entertain that. But I I just look at where they hey, are. You never and, know and, with those first yeah, round hey, picks in the Knicks. All right. Hey, you, you, ne- you hey you never know. And um, you New York teams and your first round picks. Handing oh, them off. I know. Oh, I'm still having nightmares. Don't talk to me about <laughs> that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I just don't. You know, a he'd a he'd have to he'd have to amend his trade bonus because you know, love for Anthony doesn't work. It's like two and a half million dollars short. And and where Kevin is, you watch. I mean, you saw him the other night in um, 
the the uh, Washington game. I mean, God Almighty! Besides that outlet pass, he was one of the. He was probably the best player on the court. Uh, you know, besides LeBron in that that stretch in the fourth quarter, and it, it for me it doesn't it doesn't make sense at all because then what it does is then it, you have Carmelo for the next two years. He's got a note that no trade carries over. So you are you going to be is it LeBron going to be your four and then you know Thompson's your five and Carmelo's your three and then you're really limited as far as how you build um how you build your bench this upcoming summer and we've talked all along you know a lot of these teams the Boston's of the world um maybe we could put um you know Toronto in there it's a waiting game I mean, especially for Boston I think it's a waiting game for for Cleveland to start so, showing some of these these chinks in the armor if it's this season in in the playoffs or if it's next season that Boston certainly has a chance to catch up to them and look the criticisms of Kevin Love the key criticism is that it might be problematic to have him on the floor in a finals matchup with Golden State. Now, they did beat the Warriors last year, and Love was uh, was okay down the stretch, but that still is kind of a lingering question. You flip him for Carmelo, you, you get the same problems, if not more. And I don't think you get the same uh, uh, bonus offensively that you get from Love, who is more of a floor spacer than Carmelo is. I, I just... There are no angles that I really see this as being a good deal for Cleveland because Carmelo is a sub, you know, uh, sub-average defender, below-average defender, and his offense is based on you know playing in the paint in the post and and shooting a volume, a high volume number of shots. None of that, none of that makes any sense. It doesn't. And you know what I wanted, would I like to see Carmelo on Cleveland for seven games in, in Golden State, and then you know maybe we can return Kevin Love after the season? Yeah, I'd love to see that, but that's not realistic. And you know, you watch Carmelo at this stage of his career; he's a you know he's a below average defender. You have to have players on the court that that basically can disguise his his uh, his deficiencies. And um, you know, I I think he's going to be hard to move, Chris, unless you know New York wants to do this do a Clipper deal. And I don't know, but with you know taking Crawford's money back and Rivers and you know I guess West Johnson and you you know maybe you get a future pick in 2021 or 2022 I mean really that's your only your best bet and how Boston's played you know as a you know they've got a great run going here I mean they they certainly do with you know how good Isaiah's been as as well as you know Horford and uh, that team's only going to get better I would still make the deal if I were Boston but I would lowball the ever-living shit out of the New York Knicks in this one (laughs) I would I would give them you know, you want Amir Johnson, Jonas Jerebko, uh, I'll throw Kelly Olynyk into the mix, fine. But you're not getting any of my draft picks. And you might not even get a Jay Crowder or Marcus Smart, at least not in my first offer. I wouldn't do it because you're right. The way they're playing, I still don't think they're they're on Cleveland's level this year, but they're trending towards it. And there's no reason for them to break up their team or or, or make any any kind of significant change to get Carmelo Anthony for two years. No, it isn't. And, and as much as you, you we read about Danny uh, Ainge being impatient and want to move some of these picks for stars and stuff, that organization is patient. Trust me, I do. You know, I dealt with them for a long time, and you know, we we did that that Brooklyn trade or the you know the Brooklyn Boston trade, and I and I dealt with Mike Zarin one on one, and I know Mike's you know what the tendencies are with with that organization. And if if you think that Boston is going to call New York and say, you know what? Pick whatever you want on our roster, and we'll for Car- Carmelo Anthony. You are mistaken there, and and if you are looking at an offer, and I yeah, I agree. I would offer him, you know, Amir Johnson and Tyler Zeller and a, you know, a filler and a future pick. Olenek, you know? I wouldn't. Yeah. I mean, they're not going to resign Olenek. I don't. Yeah, Olenek, and uh, you know, maybe that Memphis pick in 2019. I mean, basically, it's the same. It's the same offer that um, 
that LA is offering, but you now you get money off your books for if you're in New York, you get all that money off for the, the, potentially this summer. So it's it's technically the same thing. You're listening to the Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans proudly supports the Vertical Podcast. When it comes to the big decision of choosing a mortgage lender, it's important to work with someone you can trust who has your best interest in mind. And with Rocket Mortgage, you'll get a transparent, online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. Don't waste time searching through stacks of paperwork. With Rocket Mortgage, you can securely share your financial info to get a mortgage approval in minutes. You can even adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time to make sure you get the mortgage solution that's right for you. Whether you're looking to buy a home or refinance your existing mortgage, you can lift the burden of getting a home loan with Rocket Mortgage. Skip the bank, skip the waiting, and go completely online at quickenloans.com slash audible. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, NMLS, consumeraccess.org number 3030. Hi, boys and girls. It's Tony Kornheiser reminding you to subscribe and listen to my daily podcast where we talk about everything from sports to politics to the impending animal revolution. And remember, you can listen to new and archived episodes wherever you listen to podcasts, including iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. All right, so the uh, Pelicans and Sixers are apparently talking. Woj uh, tweeted about some of those, the details uh, earlier in the week. We have uh, the, the Sixers, as we figured, uh, prepared to move one of their bigs, Jaleel Okafor. Seems like he's the odd man out, and the Pelicans seem to be, uh, on some level, interested uh, in Okafor. And, and look, this makes sense for both sides. I mean, the Sixers, they've got to find a way to break up that front court. And if you're the Pelicans, especially if you're Dell Demps, right? If you're Dell Demps and you're Alvin Gentry, I mean, what the hell does a first round pick in a couple of years mean to you anyway? You're not going to get to use it unless you get into the playoffs. So you, you kind of got to go for broke here, right? I mean, it, it's almost incumbent on, I mean, who is it? Mickey Loomis? Is he is he still running the, the operations technically for, uh, for, for the Pelicans? It's almost incumbent on somebody upstairs to stop them from doing something like that because they know the only way to keep their jobs is probably to get this team into the playoffs. You're making me have flashbooks backs today, Chris. God almighty. When you said, you know, Hey, what is it? What do you care? You're not going to be there in a couple of years. Those first round picks. <laughs> the other way. Oh, you know what? And you know, you know what those, and I, we, I think we've talked about it and you know, who's one going to be one of those teams at the deadline who are right there kind of sniffing that eight seed is going to trade away first round picks to kind of get in. And I guess we can put New Orleans kind of in the, in the pole position right now to, to do so. And, it will be interesting as far as from um, an ownership or from a management position as far as, you know, what the approval process would be for Dell Demps as far as when you are trading, if it is future first round picks, uh, a guy that we, you know, we certainly heard as far as, you know, from a, uh, you know, security standpoint could be, could be in jeopardy at, at the end of, at the end of the year here. And, um, th- and that's why. I, you know, I heard Mark Cuban talk about this at, at Sloan, the Sloan conference a couple of years ago is when you, you know, when, when teams make decisions based on your own job security can, uh, compared to the long-term health of the organization. And I think that's how you have to look at it from an, from an ownership and, and management uh, position. And it's, it's those, uh, savior rear end type, uh, you know, trades that, you know, get organizations in trouble for the, for the, for the long haul. I tell you what, I, if I'm New Orleans, if it's a 2018 first round pick, I would certainly entertain that uh, for Okafor. And I think that's reasonable uh, for Okafor. The 17 pick, that this draft's too good. I, and especially if they don't wind up getting into the playoffs. I don't know if I'd want to trade a lottery pick uh, in this draft for, for Jaleel Okafor. But I think Okafor is still a guy that can give you 15 plus points per game. You know, you put him in a situation where 
you know, he's the starting center and, and you're going to play through him somewhat uh, through the post. I, I, that's a flyer I would take for a guy that was, you know, very recently a top three pick. If you are going to go that route, you know, what I've uh, learned is you, you got to make sure your personnel people are on board as far as what that, what that draft can potentially could be in, uh, in 2018. And I, and I certainly would want to put some protection on that. Uh, you know, you would likely probably have to give up a, you know, a Jinka, you know, one of those players. The, the benefit is, is that this roster is intact besides, You've got to figure out what you want to pay Drew Holiday. So it's not like it's a, you know, you're going into this summer and you've got to, you know, sign six or seven players. So, uh, and, and you have in regards to Oak Fort, it's, it's a controllable contract. He's under contract this year plus two. And then he's a restricted, um, free agent. So it's not like he can, he can walk there. So, um, you know, I mean, that's that's what your mindset would be is that, hey, we've got the returning pieces back now. We've got Okafor. We've got to sign Holiday as our point guard, and we can certainly be a playoff team next year. Well, you know who else the Pelicans are pursuing? Your old friend, Brooke Lopez. I mean, it's a you, big number. Do, do you it's guys, a big number. Do, I mean, do you guys just <laughs> sign Lopez and just tell him like, all right, we're going to try to trade you tomorrow? Because I don't think there's been a player in the last five years, and you were part of that team for many of those years, in the last five plus years that has been basically included in like consistent trade talks more than Brooke Lopez. I know I feel, and I like Brooke. He's probably one of the nicest people that you'll, um, that you'll meet, but Brooke's got such a high number. Uh, unless you're going to get multiple per- first round picks back from new Orleans for, uh, you know, a mere, uh, ASIC, um, you know, to absorb that type yeah. of um, contract, unless it's a Jenka and you can take that money in and, and, you know, you, you, you take it in with, um, you know, you take it in with room there, but um, I don't know how that would fit with the Lopez, you know, Davis combination. Um, I don't know if, you know, Brooke come off your bench. Can you put, you know, do you, uh, yeah, you could put Davis at the four and, and, and Brooke at the, at the five there. Uh, offensively, you would certainly get, get better there, but then that basically, um, that basically forces you um, you know, to overpay Drew Holiday because you're not going to have, you know, basically you won't have cap space next summer to go out and get a, a point guard if you lose him. You know, what I'm trying to figure out, Bobby, is what kind of center makes sense alongside an Anthony Davis? Because, you know, of, of all the, the the predictions that I've made, you know, Omer Ashek being a good fit there was one I, I, I lived to regret. Um, you know, I thought he'd be the right guy, a defensive-minded, rebounding type, playing alongside Anthony Davis, take pressure off him on the boards, um, you know, be physical in ways that he can't, but that hasn't worked at all. They're, as we mentioned, they're trying to unload him uh, to anybody at this point. When you look at the type of center that that sh- that could work next to an Anthony Davis, what what type would be? Well, I don't know about center, but the guys who would fit perfectly would be like a Kenneth Freed. You know, you could really? put Davis at the four, five and, and Freed at the, the Taj Gibsons. You know, those type of, of players, like a not a. You just you mentioned know, two guys line. that are that are attainable. <laughs> you might yeah. be able to go get those two guys. <laughs> you know, not a not a uh, you know that are mult that can you know kind of play multi positions there and are tough minded. You know, Gibson's an expiring Freed's under under contract for a couple of years, but I still think Davis is a is a five. I think that the day and age of going big big four and big five is kind of. Um, you can probably start that way. I mean, you, if you if if you're in New York, you can do Porzingis. I guess Noah. I don't know how you if you can finish it and to to play that throughout the course of the game as as one of your you know most consistent lineups. I just don't see that anymore. Yeah, I, I think you know Philadelphia is discovering that. I mean, I, I think ultimately the Six are going to have to find a way to get a stretch four in there to play alongside him. I, I think experimenting with Nerlens Noel is fine because uh, you know Noel is so engaged defensively and. 
you know, I think that MB can step out obviously and play kind of a perimeter game, but that also takes away from, from what he can do in the paint because he is an, an, an elite type of score when he gets the ball down to the low post. But, you know, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, every team in the NBA soon is going to be having one uh, type of five, uh, whether it's a stretch five like Porzingis or, or a type like, uh, like, uh, like Embiid. And then everything else is going to have to be perimeter oriented. And that's where you're going to see the draft this this uh, this June. It's going to be a guard wing heavy uh, heavy draft. I think uh, you know there'll certainly be some some bigs picked, but that's that's the direction. And when you're, I mean, even if we're talking about Boston, who could have the number one pick, and even though they have Thomas and Bradley and Rozier and Marcus Smart, you know, I, I could see them picking a, a, a you know a, certainly a guard here um, because that's kind of you know besides best available, that's the that's certainly the trend we are right now. All right, let's finish talking about uh, America's team, and that's the Atlanta Hawks. Everybody <laughs> loves them. They lose to Utah on uh, Monday, but they've been playing some pretty good basketball. I think there's something like nine, ten, and six, or some above five hundred numbers since trading uh, away Kyle Korver. You know, we're approaching the deadline, and I tried to extract something out of Mike Budenholzer on this topic the other day, but he kind of hemmed and hawed and gave a couple of non-answers to me. What do the Hawks do here? Because on one hand, you can certainly project Atlanta to be a second-round team, maybe even a conference finalist if, if things break uh, in the right way with, with some of these playoff seedings. But you absolutely can't see them as being anywhere or any type of threat to the Cavaliers this year or any time in the next couple of years. Um, do, do, they have, do they break it up? I mean, Millsap, does he stay? I mean, if you're running the Hawks, what's your perspective? Chris, this is why it's so hard when your head coach is also your president. Uh, you head know, coach wants to fi- win. Head coach is playing to win, and, and it's your and he is your final decision maker. And when, especially when we're at the trade deadline, and you know where they are, you know if they're in four or five, would it maybe a chance to, you know, even <clears throat> certainly move up here? Is that you know you're worried about game the game? You know the the what happens in the summer or in 2018 or 19? You, you know, you kind of you know you you check that for, for now. And I even if you look you look at um you know the Clippers the last couple of trade deadlines when they've traded away multiple first round picks and. Um, you know, with with an eye on getting better for the next three months, and it certainly has now probably bit them a little bit. Where if they're going to try to get a Carmel Anthony, they only have a one pick to do so. But you know, getting getting back to Atlanta, you know, with with they've got a decision they've got to make on Millsap. I mean, that's what that's their big their big decision, and certainly now Tim Hardaway Jr. as well as he's played, but he's restricted. So, are you content being you know in that three to six range? Um, you know, for the next, you know, three or four years. And there's, there's certainly nothing wrong with that, but I don't see the, how much better this, this team can, can be unless you are uh, DeAndre Bembray, the Torian princes, those, your, your former first round picks, you know, take a huge, uh, huge step in the next, you know, next year or two where, you know, they, they step into a, you know, with Prince into a starting role, you know, Bembry as a, um, you know, a, a key piece off, off your bench. But, uh, it, it's interesting because it's it's you know do you when you rip it down though, are you confident enough that you can get back you know within a year or two? So they're kind of in that they're one of those teams that are in that in between stage. Well, I don't think they sh- they can get it back within a year or two. Uh, I think they're kind of in that position where you know rebuilding overall is the best way to go. Um, trading away Millsap, maybe you can get a first round pick plus Terrence Ross, some kind of package uh, from uh, the Toronto Raptors. Um, you build, you still have Schroeder, who is, you know, mercurial to say the least, but is a talented kid. 
Uh, I don't know what you do with Dwight at that point, but you know, it, you can't look at the next three years and say Atlanta, if they just keep adding pieces to this mix, is going to be a, a realistic contender because they're going to have to deal not just with Cleveland, but Boston's on the rise. Milwaukee's on the rise. Toronto's still going to be around for the next three years. You, you've got to accept certain realities, I think, if you're the uh, the Hawks and say, we have to tear this thing down and build it up organically. The reason Boston's where they are right now is, in my opinion, because Danny Ainge you know, saw the writing on the wall with his team, with Pierce, with Garnett, with Rondo, with Doc Rivers, and he got assets for all of them. I mean, he got a damn first-round pick for Doc Rivers um, in a deal. I mean, Boston wouldn't be would be so far away from where they are right now, away from the position they're in, if they had felt any kind of loyalty. And I think that Mike Budenholzer has a certain loyalty to Paul Millsap, that he loves coaching the guy and 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 loves what he's done for the team. You can't have that. You, you gotta you gotta look at this thing objectively and say this team's going nowhere. We've got to break it up. We've got to get picks. We've got to start this thing you know around Schroeder and kind of from scratch. It would it would be somewhat reckless, I guess, if you go into two years in a row and you lose Horford and Millsap for oh, nothing. Oh, terrible! And and Damari uh, Carroll before that too. And, yeah. Well, and and fortunately, you know, I guess injuries have caught up with Damari Carroll, so um, they they've caught a little bit of a break there. But if if you you know if you if you know we talked about Horford last year in February. Now we'll talk, we'll talk. I'm sure we'll talk about Millsap in the next couple of weeks here, and and um, you know he'll he's going to cost you. I mean, he was going to cost you, you know, twenty, twenty-five million next uh, uh, next summer. So when you have him and Bazemore and Dwight and, and Schroeder, um, that's and they're going to have to pay too because you know the, the Brooklyn's of the league, the Sixers of the league. I mean, I, one of those teams is going to you know put, try to fit him into their cap space and give him a big offer. If I was new, if I was Brooklyn, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised if you you know threw out a three or seventy five million dollar offer to to uh, to Paul Millsap, something like that. He's he's proved that he is he's durable. And then you know we've talked about you got to pay Tim Hardaway Jr. and and going back to those. Uh, I mean, I guess you can put him up there with that. You know, with him and Waiters, I guess with um, you know from a free agent standpoint. But you're, he is restricted. But he's been. I mean, he's been one of the best six men, you know, we've seen at least in the last couple of weeks here, the stretch uh, he has certainly had, but it, it is such a hard, hard decision when you try to, especially when in season making a deal to be proactive for the next two years. And, um, you know, the deals that Danny did in, in Boston, the uh, Isaiah Thomas, well, Isaiah Thomas was a deadline, but to get that, to get Marcus Thornton in a pick was, you know, in, in the off season, the Pierce deal was in the off season. Um, but that is, you know, to line it, kind of let things play out, two things happen. You get swallowed up by the rest of the, uh, you know, the rest of the league and, and B, your, your assets get, you know, uh, diminished where, you know, you eventually don't have any more. Uh, do we need to talk about DeMarcus Cousins? I mean, it, it seems like it's like we should have a segment sponsored by DeMarcus Cousins. It's, it's every single or every other week, uh, 16th technical foul in the uh, win or the loss, I'd say, to Chicago on Monday. He's an automatic suspension uh, unless that's rescinded. But to even have 15 at this point is incredible. We're not even at the All-Star break, and DeMarcus Cousins is going to get dinged. What is it? What's the rule? Is it every technical subsequent, every other technical? What is uh, the suspension uh, uh, rules there? I think it's every, you know, from now on out. It's Oh, uh, boy. It's a it's the point total that uh yeah the uh, the Draymond rule I guess is that we would call it and everything but I mean hey he is what he is you know he's not going to change you know we've we've known this I mean we can bang our head against the wall forever and I mean Demarcus Cousin he he wears his emotions on his sleeve he is a uh, you know he's a competitor 
Um, you know, he's as talented as we've seen, but you've got to take the good in the, in, in the bad ear. And right now this Kings team is likely headed towards the lottery. They'll probably keep their pick. So that won't go to, um, to Chicago and you better and just hope that, you know, Philadelphia, don't, you don't have to swap picks with Philadelphia from that, from that prior trade. And, and I mean, I just, you know, we, Chris, we've talked about this forever. I mean, what is he, I don't know if he's a, I don't think he's a drawing point for free agents to come there th- this summer. And it, they're, they're, they're an aging team. You know, they're top five in the league in average age, as far as one of the oldest team for it, a team that's kind of, you know, out of the, out of the playoff race. And if you're going to sign them to that big, you know, contract that five years, 200 million plus, oh, then. God. That's the that's the decision you, you you make with, and you better be be sure that he's he is your face of your your organization, um, you know, in the future because you can't go through this again next year that you know you're going to want. Well, I guess you would have to wait a year before you could trade Cousins, but um, because that number, you know, th- move, trading a guy who's making thirty eight, thirty nine million when when the, the salary cap is basically in a flat line in the next next few years is, is next to um, next to impossible. So. I mean, that's the that's the decision they're going to have to make and, and live with. I tell you what, I, I readily admit that as a, a member of the media, oftentimes I don't know what I'm talking about. I, I think I do. But, uh, you know, sometimes you write something and it's, you know, that there's behind the scenes, other things are working or at least a GM or a coach has something long term planned that you're not you know fully uh, wrapped around. But the idea that giving DeMarcus Cousins a five year max level deal is a good one. You can't get me to accept that. You can't get me to believe, Bobby, that giving this guy the full boat and making him the face of your franchise the next five years is smart because it, it seems to me that if once you do that, you are completely destroying his trade value because at six years and that type of money, I don't see teams interested. I think teams are interested with the extra year left in that contract to then see, all right, can we turn him around? Can we... Can we put him in a winning situation like a Boston or somewhere else and see what happens there? You give him a, a effectively a six-year deal that takes him into his 30s, I think. He's he's untradeable at that point. He is untradeable at that point if you do sign him to that big contract because how is his, bo- is his body going to hold up? That. I mean, he's a plotter. I mean, him watching him getting up. I mean, there's sometimes where he doesn't even run back on defense. Um, you know, and as far as, and we can go back to how the league is transforming as far as getting away from, from bigs. And yes, he is probably one of the most talented bigs out there, but hey, if, you know, we've, you know, it's hard, usually hard to predict how things will pan, uh, pan out in the, in the NBA, but I mean, we, I think we, we can all make a prediction on where this is going if, um, you know, if, if he is, if he does sign this long-term deal and, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's different than, you know, you know, c- comparing it to, you know, New Orleans trading a first for Jalil Okafor, because who knows, you know, who knows what will happen with a first round pick and maybe Okafor and Davis works out well. And, and, you know, we can go back and say, you know what, it was worth trading, uh, you know, a future pick for, to, to, for that risk. But in, in this case here is that, we all know how the the story is going to be written. I guess the, the final chapter basically has already been written. It's just a matter of when we get there. Yeah, and, and look, I know Vlade Divac came out and said DeMarcus Cousins will be on this team past the trade deadline. And and I'm not doubting Vlade that 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 he wants that or, or believes that. But make no mistake, this is a Vivek Ranadive, the owner of the Kings. This is his call. He, he loves DeMarcus Cousins. He believes that this team's future is is in good hands with DeMarcus Cousins, and he is just hell-bent from everything I hear, hell-bent on getting this team into the playoffs this year. It is incredibly short-sighted 
to, to just be locked in on the eight seed in a first round pasting. I mean, none of the games they play against Golden State in the playoffs are going to be close. It is a first round pasting that they're going to take from the Warriors. And is that worth it? Is it is it worth it to you to get your team into the pl- the playoffs in the first year of a new arena to have a couple of playoff games there? I mean, I, it's maddening to me, Bobby. This is one of those occasions where I feel completely comfortable in my opinion that this is a bad idea. Well, I don't see them getting past uh, Denver, Portland, um, even Dallas. I was going to say, I, I was going yeah. to say, I, I, I don't see them getting past Golden State in the first round. That would have been a bold, <laughs> that would have been a bold prediction. Oh no, 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 I'm not going that that uh, direction. And then let's flip, flip the uh, script a little bit here. And with Cousins, is that if I was the Marcus Cousins, I don't know if I would sign that 200 million dollar, uh, you know, extension. I would certainly want to go through free agency, go through the free agency process, and 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 maybe find a situation where you can win every year and I know there's the value of money over uh, and it's a lot of money but sometimes happiness kind of overweighs a lot of things Uh, quickly before I let you go Isaiah Thomas in Boston speaking of extensions this summer Isaiah certainly has earned more money you've said this before I've said it the best contract in basketball uh, belongs to Isaiah Thomas well under 10 million dollars per year and, and playing at kind of an MVP level right now uh, smart move for Boston to, to to extend him this summer, or should they play it out into uh, 2018? I think they need to ex- exhaust their options as far as what they do with the cap space. Is, is it a guy like, I guess, Gordon Hayward that they can possibly go out and chase as far as from a, from a wing standpoint? But you've also got Crowder as as insurance there. But I think you, you've you got to go through the free agency process, but you have to have Isaiah kind of waiting in the wings and has a comfort level. And, and I, we've talked that you've got to share with him your plans as far as what's going to happen as far as who are your targets going to be. And if, if it, if it doesn't work out, uh, if we do miss out on some of these guys, you know, go, you know, circle back to him and, and lock him up for the, to the long haul as far as from a renegotiation standpoint. But I, I think he's got to be, you know, and I don't really like getting players involved from a personnel decision as far as their input. But I think in this case, he certainly needs to be a part of it. And for people wondering why we're not talking about the Knicks, uh, I'm reading a tweet uh, from Ian Beckley who's quoting Courtney Lee. And Courtney Lee is saying he apologizes to the fans who spent their hard-earned money to watch uh, the game against the Lakers on Monday. When you, have- you know what they should do then? They should take they should take their game check, Chris, and from that Nick game where they were down thirty points to a team that had the second worst record, and they should and donate. Who doesn't charity. really want to win? Who do- the Lakers have no? <laughs> there's no upside to the Lakers winning games right now. Hey, how about Jerry Seasting at halftime? And I, you know, it caught me off guard, and I and I saw him, and I and when he says, "Hey, you can't coach effort," I, I almost fell off my couch. <laughs> I mean, oh my god! I said, "God, thank God, Jeff Hornacek's got a long term deal there." Oh. You know, because uh, if you're oh, if you're James Dolan, I don't think you'd be real happy with that comment. Oh God, a whole podcast could be done on the Knicks, but we're gonna save that <laughs> one uh, for another day. Bobby, as always, I appreciate it, man. Thanks, Chris. You're listening to the Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix. Before we get to Mike Schmitz of Draft Express, I got to tell my listeners about Blue Apron, the number one fresh ingredient recipe delivery service in the country. Blue Apron's mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. I use Blue Apron, some of the best meals out there, as established partnerships with over 150 local farms, fisheries, and ranchers across the United States. The seafood, it's excellent, sourced sustainably under standards developed in a partnership with the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch. Cooking together, you know that builds family bonds. 
Research shows that Blue Apron families cook nearly three times more often. Those who spend a lot in restaurants or at high-end grocery chains can now spend under $10 per person for a delicious meal. Whether you like cashew chicken stir-fry, roasted pork, uh, crispy barramundi. I've never tried that, but I'll give that a whirl at some point. Love myself some Blue Apron. Uh, It's affordable. Again, less than $10 per person, per meal. Great variety. Flexible delivery. Easy to cook. Really, nothing can go wrong when you order yourself some Blue Apron. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free. That's right. Absolutely free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash Mannix. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create an incredible home-cooked meal with Blue Apron, so don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash Mannix. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. All right, so we are several months still away uh, from the NBA draft, but when you talk to uh, executives around the league, uh, draft experts, the consensus is that this is a pretty strong draft coming up. I know when I talk to executives about trading away their first round pick, a, a common refrain that I get is that teams might be willing to deal a 2018 pick, but they want to stay in the 2017 draft. They believe this draft at the top all the way throughout, uh, has some pretty good talent in it. And uh, to talk more about that, no one better out there than Mike Schmitz from draftexpress.com. And of course, uh, part of our team over at The Vertical. And Mike joins us from, what, parts unknown? Mike, where are you these days? I am in uh, Austin, Texas right now. I'm about to head to uh, Iowa State shoot-around, going to Iowa State, Texas tonight. So not a bad place to be. Not bad at all. Not bad at all. Um, What do you think, Mike, of that perception that I was just sort of laying out there? I mean, are you feeling what what these executives are feeling that this draft uh, is a pretty deep one? Yeah, yeah. I'm usually um, kind of take the approach that you really don't know until a couple years after. You know, um, kind of like to wait and see how these guys pan out. You know, like Giannis, for example. I mean, you know, nobody thought he was going to be what he is. So I'm a big fan of the approach. You, you don't really know, but for this draft, I think it's pretty clear. Um, there's talent at the top, there's talent throughout, uh, heavy in the point guard side. So yeah, man, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. Just, just trying to figure out, figure these guys out a little more. Yeah. And let's start with the the top of the draft. And, and you mentioned the point guards, the, you know, three of the top four picks on the draft express board right now are point guards, Melker Fultz from Washington, Lorenzo Ball at UCLA and Dennis Smith uh, over at NC state. I mean, tell me about the, is there a separation there at one is Fultz, in your opinion, kind of the, the clear-cut best of that point guard crop, or is it a little closer? For me, I think he's the clear-cut best. Um, he's just really versatile, uh, explosive, very creative and instinctual. Uh, to me, I think he's a, he's a superstar in the making, um, and he's had an incredible ascension uh, from where he was. I mean, this is a guy who wasn't even playing varsity basketball until his junior year, really. So, um, just to see him kind of grow and, and develop into what he is now, for me, uh, he's the number one pick. But I know a lot of scouts and scouts that I really respect, you know, think Lonzo Ball is the best player in this draft, um, kind of see it as an 1A, 1B situation. Uh, I'm not quite there yet, but um, for me, it's, you know, Fultz, uh, Ball, and, and then Smith is how I would kind of rank those guys. Tell me about how Fultz plays. Who, who does he remind you of? Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, he's very interesting in that he's kind of in his own little world a lot of times, just with the way he plays. Like, he's very, very loose. 
Um, everything is kind of based on instincts. Like he, he does some stuff out of pick and roll that you just don't really see, you know, splitting ball screens with crazy behind the back dribbles, spin moves. He has this really interesting body control, like ability to, you know, stop on a dime, move left, move right, contort his body in different ways. Um, so I don't know. I don't really have like a direct comp to him. You know, he's got a little, um, maybe you could say some like Dwayne Wade in some ways in that, um, he's explosive going to the rim. Um, he can stop on a dime and pull up, you know, maybe some, some Brandon Roy as well. Um, some, a little bit of D'Angelo Russell, maybe as a passer, uh, and also in terms of his, you know, kind of it, for good and bad, his kind of lax uh, demeanor at times. It kind of reminds me of D'Angelo a little bit when he was coming up. So, I mean, he's just a really interesting blend. Uh, he can score at all three levels. He can play the one. He can play the two. Um, so, he uh, to me, he's a really special player. He has some flaws uh, in terms of, you know, floating through games um, defensively. Obviously, that team is is not winning at all right now. So, there are some questions about that. But talent-wise, you put him in a ball screen and with NBA spacing, he's going to be a tough cover. Yeah, and, and what I love about the, the top two pl- potential picks in the draft is that they're – forced to play each other. They're in the same conference. We already saw uh, Washington get blown out uh, against UCLA. They have to go to UCLA uh, sometime next month. Did you learn anything at all in in that head-to-head matchup when you go back and and watch the tape of that? Um, Not a ton. I mean, you know, I think the fact that UCLA wins that game by 40, you know, kind of speaks to where each team is as a program and, and kind of shows you you know, the value with each guy and that Lonzo's a winner, man. Like UCLA last year, I live out there and uh, not too far from UCLA. And that team was tough, man. Like it, there was not a lot of leadership. There was a little bit of talent, but it was a bit of a mess, you know? And then he comes in and just completely changes the program. Like, I mean, just the way that they're playing, I, I liked Lonzo in high school, but I had no idea that he was going to really have that type of impact on a program. Um, in terms of that game in particular, you know, they had a couple of head-to-head matchups. Um, Lonzo got the best of him a couple of times, Markel the other way. Um, but for me, Lonzo's not really like a one-on-one guy. You know, I don't, I don't think you learn a ton um, from that. But I'll, I'll be at the, the game at UCLA, and we'll take a harder look at that. Do you look at a guy like Fultz, Mike, as you know, kind of a must take in that number one spot. And I ask in the, in the sense of when I look at the bad teams right now in, uh, in the NBA, you got Brooklyn and that picks probably gonna, well, will convey to Boston. If that's number one, Boston has a point guard, the Lakers. Uh, if they wind up in that top three, they've got D'Angelo Russell there. D- do scouts look at a guy like Fultz as, as kind of like, you know, you got to take him. He's the best player on the board, no matter what you have at that position. Otherwise, I think so. I think he's that type of player. I think he's a, you take a guy like him and you figure it out. Um, and the good thing about him is he can play, like I said, he can play off the ball a little bit. He's really improved as a shooter. Um, he's not just, I mean, he's really more of a scorer than anything. Um, but I think he can adapt to different situations just because of his skill set. So to me, he's that, that good of a player. And, uh, you know, the first swing man listed on the board over at Draft Express uh, is Josh Jackson uh, from Kansas. I mean, what kind of prospect is he? He's a really, really tough character, um, intense guy, you know, for better or for worse sometimes. Has some has some issues with referees, so we'll, we'll uh, track that as his career continues. But, yeah, he's an explosive athlete. Um, 
he's really versatile. That's what I like about him. He kind of checks all the boxes. Uh, he's really improved as a shooter, and that's an area where he's you know really struggled in the past. So they're playing him. Kansas is playing him pretty much strictly at the four, and I think that's allowed him to you know use his quickness against kind of slower footed fours and uh, play in space and, and kind of read the game off that. Uh, to me, I'm not sure that he's ever going to be a star because he he's not quite great in one area. He doesn't shoot it great. Um, you know, his frame is just kind of okay. Uh, he has kind of average length for his height. I'm not sure he's ever going to be like a go-to guy. But to me, I think he can be, you know, a really, really high-impact starter who's maybe not your first or second option, maybe more your third. And he's going to defend guys. He's going to fly around. He's going to compete. Um, you know, kind of in a way that, you know, maybe like a Justice Winslow, but he's, he's a little more offensively talented. Um, some people think that he's got a little Jimmy Butler there um, in terms of the chip on the shoulder that he has, in terms of a guy who's going to work and play with toughness, who maybe doesn't have crazy length or, or crazy skill at this point. Um, so, yeah, I like Josh a lot. I think he's the third best prospect in this draft. 6'8", about 207. I assume that's, you know, he's a three when he goes to the pros. I mean, defensively, does he have, what's his skill set like there? Yeah, he's really good um, instinctually off the ball. Uh, he's, he's a guy who's very aware and he's very, very active. Um, I think on the ball, he's maybe not like a defensive stopper type quite yet, quite yet just because, like I said, he's a little bit narrow-framed, and he doesn't have the elite length of maybe a, you know, a Kawhi Leonard type. Um, but he has good feet, and, and he's tough, and he's physical. Um, so, yeah, he's going to be flying around. I think he'll be able to you know, guard a couple different positions, um, make plays off the ball. So he's, he's an asset on that end. A lot of freshmen, as I look at this, the Draft Express board, um, you almost have to go down to – I mean, really, the first international prospect to see a non-freshman. The top 12 you guys list are all freshmen. I know that's that's kind of become the norm uh, nowadays, but uh, anything to read into that, that there's so many quality freshmen this year's draft? I think it speaks to this this high school class. Um, you know, there were, I mean, all the, the high school guys who really uh, specialize in that, you know, scout and, and, and these type of companies um, have really been you know, applauding this class thing is kind of one of the better classes that they've seen in quite some time. And I think it speaks to that and just, just the quality of player. Um, you know, obviously last year we had some parody in that regard. You know, you had a buddy heel type, you had a Chris Dunn type, um, and we're not really seeing that, but you know, I think it's kind of a year by year uh, basis for me. As we go down, I mentioned the international prospect. The first guy you have on the board at draft express is uh, Frank Nilikina. Um, who's playing overseas for Strasbourg right now. I mean, he's another point guard uh, joining a pretty talented crop. What's his, uh, his scouting report? Yeah, I was just over there uh, to see him actually. Strasbourg played against uh, Megalex in Serbia. And he is very, very impressive in terms of his approach. Um, the mental side for him, I really like. Uh, parents are from Rwanda, um, born in Belgium, grew up in France. So he's got kind of an interesting story, but um, he's about six six, uh, I believe, near a seven foot wingspan, um, and you know, still appears to have some physical growth um, coming ahead. Big frame, um, really rangy. Uh, he's kind of a you know guard three positions type of guy. Um, he's not quite great in one area, uh, but you know, he can pass. He has a great feel for the game. He's really improved as a shooter. 
Um, so I just, I really like his approach. Like when I was out there, you know, small gym, about an hour outside of Belgrade. And he was the first one on the court, um, you know, really just locked in type of kid. Uh, and, and I just really like his professional approach at age 18. You know, he's been able to play some minutes in the French first league in, in the champions league. And then he pretty much dominated the, uh, under 18s for France. So like I said, not quite great in one area. I don't think he's at the level of, you know, a De'Aaron Fox from Kentucky or a Malik Monk or, or those guys quite yet. Um, but I think, you know, he's checked a lot of boxes and, and you really have to like his mentality. The, the leagues you mentioned he's playing in, in, in France and the Champions League, I mean, what kind of competition is he getting over there? It's good leagues. Um, it, I think it's good competition. He's playing, you know, he's, he's so young and he's playing against, uh, you know, grown men. And I think the pro a is, a you know, one of the better leagues. Um, I mean, it's not Euro league, it's not ACB. Um, but I'd say, you know, in terms of athleticism, um, it's one of the better leagues, you know, on his team, he has some former college guys, you know, AJ slaughter, who was at Western Kentucky, um, Eric Murphy, who was at Florida, uh, you know, so these are guys who were, you know, Irvin Walker, even who was at Florida. These are some guys who are, uh, we're very good college players um, and, and are now grown men. The Champions League is a very good league as well. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the fact that he's playing minutes at that age is, is very impressive. Man, six of the top 10 guys that you have listed in that 2017 first round mock are point guards. I can't remember, Mike, the last time uh, we've seen that many point guards ranked in the top 10. Yeah, it's pretty insane how this has unfolded. Um, you know, it's it's been a challenge initially to kind of, you know, sort through, um, you know, where each guy is. And what I really like about it is just these guys are so different. Um, you know, Fultz is kind of a smooth scoring, instinctual, uh, you know, do everything as a score, score from all three levels and, and find guys type of guy. Whereas Lonzo Ball is super unselfish, pass first, um, crazy basketball IQ type of guy. And then Dennis Smith is like downhill freak, John Wall type of athlete. Um, and then De'Aaron Fox is kind of this quick twitch, wiry type of guy. Uh, and then even Malik Monk, you know, he's really more of a two, but electric score um, can really get it going in a hurry. So, yeah, it's, I, I just like the parody uh, with these guys and how, how each guy, you know, kind of uh, brings a different skill set. Right, let's move a little bit further uh, down the list. Harry Giles, you know, entering Duke, a lot of hype behind him despite the injury. Uh, that we knew was going to keep him out for a uh, part of the season. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure he started higher on your list than he than at the 17 that he's at right now. But what have you seen from him this year that that that's caused him, at least in the in the view of this board, uh, to slip a little bit? Yeah, I think he's a little bit step slow. You know, kind of a step slow, which you obviously would expect, um, just given you know the the fact that he's missed so much time. Um, I think his uh, instincts and, and feel, you know, defensively in terms of guarding pick and roll, being in the right spot to block shots and rotate things like that haven't quite been there. Um, and then he's still getting, you know, back at his athleticism. So for me, it, I, I've always kind of wondered with him, like, what does he really, really do at a high level? Um, he's really rebounding the ball at a high level. He, you know, he plays with energy. I think that can be his calling card early on. Um, but you know, he's not, he's, he has a nice physical profile, but you know, he's not, he doesn't have great natural size for a center. Um, he's not really the most skilled guy offensively. So just trying to find like 
what are you going to do for me on a nightly basis at the NBA level? And then how far away are you from kind of recapturing your athleticism, um, your, you know, instincts, your timing, and, and at what level will that return is kind of the question for him. Yeah, and he strikes me as the kind of guy that, you know, based on the injury part of it and the inconsistency, and I've only seen probably, you know, a handful of games, some of the nationally televised games that, that Duke has played. He strikes me as the kind of guy that would probably benefit from coming back uh, for another year. I don't know if that's in his his mind at all, but it, you know, if he's in the middle part of the first round and you know, barring a, a strong performance at the combine, he might you know, potentially fall even further. I mean, it seems like he could benefit from another year at Duke. Yeah, I think there's no doubt about it. I mean, if if he looks around and you know sees that he's hearing you know fifteen to twenty five, uh, twenty twenty to thirty. Um, and then the medical as well, that's going to be really big for him. Um, you know, if he gets flagged really badly and he knows like, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm definitely not going to go in the top 10 or the lottery. Um, anytime you go to Duke, you're going to get a ton of exposure. You're going to have people at every practice, every game. So coming back for him, I don't think is the worst option in the world, especially given, you know, how strong this draft is. Cause if he comes back, has a good year, you know, he's a guy who could go in the top 10. All right, the first center that you guys have on the board is uh, Justin Patton uh, from Creighton. And uh been a while since we've uh, heard the name Creighton in the draft lottery since uh, Doug McDermott, maybe. Um, you know, 6'11", 215. I mean, how does he break down? Yeah, he uh, he's kind of a late riser type. You know, he wasn't even really a top 50 kid um, coming out of high school from Omaha. I saw him earlier this year up in Tempe against ASU. Um, moves really well, uh, has a very efficient game. I mean, he's shooting like 72% or something, um, on the year, at least from two, uh, pretty skilled, you know, can shoot it a little bit, um, moves well, uh, can guard pick and roll. He was actually a red shirt last year, I believe. And so he's a guy who's kind of had a late, you know, rise and ascension. Um, so we'll see. I mean, I think he's not ready, you know, as is the case with a lot of these guys, but he's not ready to step into an NBA game and have a major impact. I think um, there's probably still some growing up to do uh, there for him. Um, but again, if he comes out, I mean, guys with that size, um, with that length, who can move like he can and, and have kind of a budding skill set. Um, that's usually a fit, you know, in, in the late lottery or, or even a little farther down. So um, yeah, I- interesting name who's, who's really risen and helped himself this year. When you look at the guys in the back half of the first round, guys that may represent uh, good value, the teams are, are maybe sleeping on uh, right now. Who jumps to your mind? Um, I think John Collins from Wake Forest is a guy who's really helped himself. Um, he's putting up monster numbers. I mean, he has like a 35 PER, uh, which is pretty insane, you know, playing in, in the ACC. So um, I like him a lot. I think, you know, teams like him a lot. He's around 6'10", has some skill, you know, explosive athlete, kind of just fits the bill of kind of a, you know, a modern, doesn't quite stretch it to three consistently, but um, a guy who has spin moves, who has a a lot of different stuff in his game um, and has been super productive. So I I think he's a guy you could see, you know, potentially rising into, you know, the teens, um, maybe even late lottery. Uh, I'm going to go see him uh, later this month. So, um, yeah, he, he's a guy I like that I think could rise. And why do teams always, why don't they pay more attention to the stats and, the, and how a guy produces in college? Why don't they do this? This it always It's like the, the Rodney Hood argue with me, uh, Mike. I, I always 
found it bizarre that that teams would pass on Rodney Hood as far as down as he did because of the numbers he put up at Duke. Guy like John Collins, you know, good size for his position. He's averaging like 18 points and almost 10 rebounds. I mean, it, these seem like the kind of characteristics that would make a guy more valuable than than just being a 20s area type. Yeah, I, I think, you know, a lot of it starts with where these guys were um, even in high school, you know, and you, you kind of start with all those guys who played, you know, Team USA basketball, who played in the major AAU tournaments. So then when some of these guys, you know, pop up who maybe weren't a part of that discussion, um, you know, you, you kind of maybe takes a little bit more time to finally say, okay, like this guy, this guy is in that class. You know, John Collins is a guy who wasn't uh, even a top 100 recruit coming out. So um, giving them a little bit of time to, uh, you know, prove themselves that they belong in that discussion. I think um, it maybe takes a little bit longer than, than it should at times. But with a guy like him, when you have, you know, production um, kind of meeting potential, uh, that, that's when I think, you know, a guy becomes really valuable. So Grayson Allen at Duke is, has been in the news really all year long for the tripping stuff. And there's no question he's an integral part of, you know, Duke, what Duke's trying to do in terms of winning a national championship. But you guys have him in the early part of the second round uh, right now. I mean, how does he project as an NBA talent? Yeah, I think he can play in the NBA. He's, to me, he's not, you know, he's not an NBA starter. He's not an NBA star. He's, I think he's a role guy who's going to look a little bit better um, in space because he's, you know, in a crowd, he looks a little bit heavy footed. Um, and, but he's a guy who, once he gets in space, once he gets in transition, uh, which we know that, you know, the NBA is about in a big way, um, you're going to be able to see, you know, more of his athleticism and, and, and shooting the ball well. But I mean, he's had a, you know, just kind of an okay year. Um, in my opinion, he's been okay, but uh, his three point percentage has dropped. His two point percentage has dropped. Um, you know, he's averaging six less points per game this year. And then all the, kind of the anger issue stuff as well. Um, it's interesting because when he was a freshman, you know, he played a very small role. Um, he had that big tournament game where, uh, versus, I believe, Wisconsin. But his deal was, you know, that energy, that passion that he played with, um, coming out defending guys, you know, when he was only playing like nine minutes a game, that was a big, you know, positive attribute for him. Um, and now it's kind of working the other way a little bit. So, uh, you know, some teams like that fire, and, and and I think you want a guy that is passionate and and wants to win and competitive. But I, I think it's just finding a balance um, for him. But to me, he's an NBA NBA player, uh, just kind of as a bench energy guy who who can make shots, uh, play a little bit at a pick and roll. But to me, he's not he's not a starter type. He's not a six man type. He's more of just a, a bench role guy, in my opinion. Yeah. And would he have been better off? I mean, I don't know where he would have gone, but better off coming out last year because his numbers have, have really tumbled uh, this season. He's under 40% from the, from the field. These three point shootings dropped about, I think seven points uh, from last year. His scoring has mm-hmm. tumbled. I mean, is when you watch him play, is it just that maybe defenses are more focused on him because he's a, a bigger star on that team or is there something more there? I think that's part of it. Um, for me, it, I think the the rise of a guy like Luke Kennard um, has impacted Grayson a little bit. You know, Luke has really taken over as the stud on this team in a lot of ways. You know, he's averaging 20 points a game, crazy efficient, playing a lot with the ball. So I think, you know, Grayson's taken a little bit of a backseat in that regard. And, um, you know, also just with some of the distractions, 
I think that's maybe gotten to him mentally a little bit. But, you know, if he came out last year, I think he's probably looking at the same type of projection anyway. Um, you know, he's all, we've always kind of seen him as a, you know, 30s, 30 to 40 type of guy, just because there's not a whole lot of upside there with him, just in that he's not, you know, he's really like a 6'4", two guard. He's not overly long. Uh, he doesn't have a lot of like, wiggle with the ball. Like he's really not going to be like a combo guard to me. So um, I don't know if coming out last year would have helped him all that much. All right, before I let you go, a couple of guys um, that we'll be seeing in the tournament and uh, maybe not seeing in the NBA if your uh, projections hold here. Isaiah Briscoe uh, from Kentucky and Dylan Brooks uh, from Oregon. Well-known guys uh, on the, the college basketball landscape, but uh, it seems based on on your rankings there, you guys don't think too much of them as potential NBA prospects. Yeah, um, I think, you know, Briscoe's helped himself a little bit this year in that uh, he's shooting 35% from three, not on a lot of attempts, um, but that's kind of the biggest thing for him. Like if he can figure out how to shoot the ball, uh, which he did not show signs of last year, shooting 46% from the free throw line, um, then he, I think he can turn into an NBA player. The question for him is, how is he going to score in the half court? He's not that explosive and he doesn't shoot it well. Um, so he's really just kind of a, a ball mover type of guy who can really pass, uh, you know, check a, a few different boxes. But um, to me, he's probably just on the outside looking in, just in that if you're talking about a point guard, especially nowadays, the game has just evolved into so much shooting the ball. And if you can't do that and you're not an explosive athlete on top of that, um, teams are just going to go under every freaking roll, sag off of you, and it's going to be tough for you to have an impact. Um, I think Brooks has a little bit more of a chance. Uh, he's, an, he's an interesting guy in that he plays, you know, we've seen all the flopping and, and all this now. Yeah. He, he plays with, um, you know, kind of a uh, just a crazy fire that can be seen in, in a bad way. You know, he's, you can see him kind of arguing with teammates or coaches and, and things like that at times. So, uh, it's a it's a matter of if he can channel uh, channel that and be kind of a, a Draymond Green where you know you take the positives in that and play with that intensity, um, but kind of an, a you know a three four type of guy who's really improved as a shooter can pass the ball. So it, it wouldn't surprise me if if he's a guy who you know ends up going in the second round and uh, finds a way to stick in the NBA. Let me ask you before I uh, one other thing too. We've uh, last year first round there were some draft and stashes Boston. Uh, stashed a couple of guys overseas. I don't know if you've seen them, the players that Boston uh, put over there, and if you had any kind of uh, idea of how they were playing. But uh, for Boston people listening, I'm sure they'd love to know about those two first-rounders. Yeah, I know uh, Ante Zizic was putting up, um, you know, monster numbers. Uh, so he, I, th- I think, you know, teams are pretty excited. Or I mean, Boston's got to be pretty excited about him. Uh, he's always been really, really, you know, productive. Um, and, you know, he moved over to a different team. He's uh, playing, I, I believe it's on loan um, for David Blatt's team in, in the EuroLeague uh, and, in you know, Turkish League. So um, he's been really good, just playing really hard. Uh, he's, he's not the most, um, he's not the most skilled guy out there, but he's a huge body, uh, long arms, rim runner, rebounder. Um, so that, you know, there's some excitement for him. And I think he's expected to come over next year, I believe. Um, we'll see how that shakes out. And then, yeah, Gershon Yabusele has put up really big numbers in Shanghai. Um, he's shooting it well from three, you know, 38%, scoring almost 21 points a game. So for a 21-year-old rookie, um, that's kind of an up-and-down league where numbers are often very inflated. But 
for him to come in and be scoring efficiently and have that kind of impact, um, I, I think that's you know a really good sign for Celtics as well. Is this another year, Mike, where we could have a run on the draft and stash guys? I mean, how do you? Is it? Is there an ability to kind of see ahead and 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 figure out if there are a bunch of those guys we'll see drafted? Um, you know, the international class this year, in my opinion, is a little bit down. Um, you have Frank, who we, who we talked about. Um, but, you know, outside of him, in terms of second round stash guys, there aren't a, there aren't a ton that are that are, you know, all that interesting. Um, you have, you know, a French big man, Jonathan John, who is is an interesting stash guy in that, you know, he's about seven, two and very skilled. He's, you know, raw sushi right now, but he's he's a guy who you can kind of put over there and, you know, hope watch develop um, some other names as well. You know, Alexander Bezenkov who plays in um, Barcelona, he's having a really big year for them. He's it's in kind of an easy staff situation. A guy you can just kind of let sit over there, play at a really high level, be productive for them. Maybe he never comes over. Maybe he does. Um, but yeah, comparing to last year, I don't, I don't think it's as, as strong. Nobody does it better than the uh, Draft Express guys. Mike Schmitz, Jonathan Gavoni. You can check out their stuff at uh, draftexpress.com. Mike does a ton of videos over there. He's going to be doing a lot over the next couple of months and, of course, uh, be part of our draft night coverage once again where uh, we had a lot of fun doing that last year. Mike, uh, I appreciate the time, man. Enjoy the road and uh, safe travels. Thanks a lot, Chris. I appreciate it, man. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to both Bobby Marks and Mike Schmitz for joining the show. A reminder to everybody, you can listen to Archive Podcast at iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, really anywhere you can download podcasts. And if you have time, I hope you do, post a comment, leave us a rating. It helps the podcast a lot, and I really appreciate it. I'll see you next week. This has been a digital media production. Find your voice. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. 
Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.